Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, it was the end of the summer. I was uh, in college. I had spent actually the entire summer out in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, it was a fantastic time. Got to work on a golf course. Um, got to hang out with a bunch of other like college students. And something that we frequently did when we had a lot of open time was to go to the beach and swim in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and we would love to do this. You know, all of us would get together, play sand volleyball, and go out into the ocean. Now, I'm a little bit of an adventurous type of person. I want to see how far away can I get away from the shoreline. And I would go with me and my buddies. We'd try to see how far out can we go. And we would go so far out that would terrify any mother, right? If my mom was there, even though I was in college, she'd be calling me back and saying it's unsafe. How far can we get? away from the shoreline. Now, this is all during the daytime, right? I mean, like, when you can kind of have a sense of, we can kind of see our surroundings and how far the shoreline is, and, you know, even though you can't see very well, like, maybe, like, what's underneath you. Well, at the very end of the summer, me and one of my friends was like, man, let's do something bold. Let's go out into the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of the night. And so it was midnight, and we decide to head on down to the beach. We're only a couple blocks away. We walk on down there, and we get to the beach, and we begin to wade out. Now, on our backside is the boardwalk, right, where all the hotels are, buildings, all the lights. You can see perfectly fine. It's all good. But when you turn the other way and you look out into the Atlantic Ocean, it is utter darkness. There is nothing. You cannot see, but like this far in front of your face, you can't see anything under the waters. It's just blackness. We're like, man, how far can we get out? And so we begin to go, and our adrenaline is beginning to amp up, and we're probably just, you know, past our ankles in water. And we're going, and we're getting a little deeper and a little deeper, and we're just getting hyped up. What's underneath? And as you're getting deeper and deeper, you're thinking about all of the Jaws movies, open water movies, Sharknado movies. You're like, what's underneath this water? And we get to about right here, and both of us look at each other, and we're like, well, we can't do this anymore. And we turn back, and we head back to the place that we're staying. You see, when we encounter such fearful things that we cannot see, we do not want to go very far. We do not want to go very far. And yet, God invites us, like the ocean invites us, to go deep because there is a world out for our, there for us to explore and to be in. The ocean is vast, and yet it is scary, and it is also very wonderful. And this morning, we are going to close out our series of Holy Community. We've been kind of dipping into this series called Holy Community kind of throughout the last couple of months, talking about how, what distinguishes the church, what makes us different than the rest of the world, the rest of the communities that exist around us. And we've been looking at what do the scriptures call us to do and how do we live it together. And today we're going to talk about prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but like when I hear the word prayer, I begin to feel really guilty because I'm like, my prayer life is terrible. It's never good enough. I never am able to be or I'm not praying as much as I ought to or I should. And this morning is not about tips and tricks on, on your personal prayer life. It is about the potentials and the possibilities that God invites us to in our prayer life, what he wants us to experience with him. And like the ocean, it is not something that can be figured out. 
It is something that we wade into, and it is scary, and yet it is wonderful. We're going to be closing our time here at the very end of James uh, in chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at the possibilities of what James says in a couple of very simple, straightforward statements about prayer in the context of community. Read with me. James says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That is the word of the Lord this morning. The very first sentence here, a couple sentences, first verse, James says, in your high times in your life, in your low times in your life, and everything in between, we pray. We pray and praise are synonymous. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter the circumstances, we are a praying people. Like if this room was all of a sudden immediately filled with healing and we all would begin to talk like Smurfs, we would sound higher than we really do. It doesn't matter how low your voice is or how high your voice is, it would get even higher. It would be collective. In the same way, the community of God is to pray together and it influences, it is the atmosphere with which we live in. Prayer and community is not an action point on a task list. Prayer is not an action point. It's not a work. It's not a thing that we do to check the box to make sure that we have our bases covered. No, prayer is the air that we breathe. It's the waters we swim in. We are bathed in prayer. We are saturated in prayer. We are a praying people. Prayer is more than communication. It is actually this word communion in and with God. Yes, prayer is communication on the surface level, but it's really actually entering into a place of communion with and in God. In the 1980s, Dan Rather, uh, who's a famous um, uh, news reporter, was interviewing the late Mother Teresa. And of course, when you're sitting down with Mother Teresa, you would probably love to ask her about her prayer life, and Dan Rather did. He asked Mother Teresa, hey, when you pray to God, what do you say? And she replied to Dan, well, I don't say anything, I listen. Okay, then. Well, then when God speaks to you, what does God say to you? Wouldn't we love to know what God says to Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa replied, well, he doesn't say anything, he listens. At this, Dan Rather had no idea where to go with the uh, interview. He was befuddled. Mother Teresa quickly added, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. You see, prayer is something that some of us understand. We understand, or you understand what Mother Teresa is talking about. This thing that sounds like oxymoronic, a vacuum, two listening ears, doesn't make for great conversation. And yet you understand what it means to lean into the Lord, to have communion with God, because God is present with you every moment of every day. Some of us in this room have tasted of it. It's not yet our daily experience with God, but we've tasted it. We've had moments where it's like, man, I am so in tune in the presence of God. He is here with me, and I hear him. He hears me. 
that you understand, you've tasted what Mother Teresa has said. And some of you are like, man, that just sounds like gibberish. I have no clue what you're talking Two listening ears, that makes no sense. Well, let me give you an illustration. You know, if you had a best friend, and when I say best friend, I mean a best friend that you've cultivated a relationship with for 20, 30 years of your life, okay? Not a bestie that you've known for two weeks, like someone that you've really cultivated a relationship with. Well, think about how that relationship started. It starts with all the get-to-know-yous. What are you into? What do you like? What are your hobbies or your interests? What are some funny moments? You might share some experiences together. But even though you might vibe and connect and, you know, all those sort of things, you might really enjoy one of those companies, there is not yet trust. Trust comes, we begin to be vulnerable. You begin to open up. You begin to share your life and your thoughts with this person, things that are precious to you from the inside. As you begin to do that, you begin to wade into a different level of experience and relationship with that person. And yet, while there might be trust, there's not yet intimacy. Intimacy is born through experiences. It is born through conflict. It is born through working through relationship together. And those who have been friends know what it's like to fight for one another, to battle for the relationship, to battle with one another in their own life circumstances. In the same way with God, we might have the surface level, we like God and he likes us, and yet as we move into prayer, it becomes something where we begin to trust him with more of ourself, and yet we might not yet experience intimacy with him until we begin to go through the hardships of life together. And what James says is, whether it's good or bad, God is with us and wants to walk through it with us together. Thomas Kelly puts it this way, there's a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of the external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a more profound level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. The secular world today values and cultivates only the first level, believing that this is where the real business of humankind is done. But we those who have communion with God, we know that the deep level of prayer is the most important thing in the world. It is at this deep level that the real business of life is determined. And this life is something that is cultivated over time. Now, when James begins to apply this prayer orientation towards God, he doesn't do so individualistically. Here's how you ought to pray. He says, no, here's what you do in community. Verses 14 and 15 says... Specifically, if you are suffering, if you are in pain, then go and ask the church to pray for you for healing. You see, James understands that prayer brings the potent power of the healer to heal the sick. It is through prayer that the potent power of God, our healer, is able to then heal us. Now, some quick observations about what James says about this healing type of prayer. Number one, this is physical healing. This is not physical and spiritual healing. We're tempted to probably try to lump the two together, and I'm going to explain here for a minute. What he's not saying is that, hey, come if you are feeling downtrodden, come if you're feeling discouraged in your faith, and come and receive prayer. He's saying if you have an ailment, if there is something physically wrong with you, then come and ask for prayer, and God will heal you physically. Well, why am I pointing this out? One, because we are probably, because we are afraid to trust God to heal us. We are afraid to trust God to heal us. We're so used to operating at the first level of our existence. What do I have to do to get better in the moment? 
that we have not yet understood what does it mean to actually exist with God, commune with God. We are trusting for him to care for our physical bodies. In our world, if you are diagnosed with a disease, you go and seek medical treatment, you go and get medicine. And we put our trust in medicine as if medicine is our healer. And this is a much safer level of existence for us. Because science and medicine never ask us to deal with the existential questions of our life. Science and medicine never ask us to deal with the existential questions of our life. And yet, when people get sick and they suffer, what do they say? Why? Why is this happening to me? Is God not good? Does he not see me? Does he not love me? We begin to immediately wrestle with the problem of evil. But science doesn't want to wrestle with that. It cannot wrestle with that. It exists in the first level. And that's fine. We ought to. God doesn't just say we only go to prayer. Yes, we do interact with with what is going on around us. We do seek medical treatment. And yet, the deeper existence is to exist with God and enter into it with him that we might wrestle with our maker. That in our illness, God calls us to come face-to-face with him and face-to-face with our own selves. That we must deal with, do I really believe God is good? Do I really believe he's able? Am I willing to admit my own weaknesses and my own pride that keep me from coming before him? If you're familiar with the book of Job, it's like right in the middle. It's a long book about suffering is what it's about. And Job loses everything. He loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses everything. And at the end of it, he's afflicted all over his body with sores. He's in pain and misery. And his friends come and they gather around him. And they sit in the ashes with him for days. His friends begin to open their mouths and they say all kinds of wrong things, what they say. Halfway through that book, actually in the original Hebrew, it's a beautiful poem that Job uh, says, pens, writes, however it is. It's this beautiful poem in chapter 28 of where is wisdom found? Wisdom meaning, am I loved? Am I cared for? Does God see me? Will he come to my rescue? Does he have a good plan for me? Those are the questions that wisdom seeks out. And what Job says is that man, men, we can do anything. And he likens it to digging in a minefield. We can upheaval dirt. We can move it all around. We can manipulate our physical world all around us, all that we want. And yet, he says, man cannot find wisdom. It eludes him. He does not know the plans of God and the purposes of God, the love of God for his own life. And so we must go to God to find those very things. As we said, science and medicine cannot answer the questions of the universe. It cannot answer us, our identity, how much we are loved and cared and cherished by God, and God's power to do whatever he wants at any given moment in time. This word salvation, he says, you will be saved. The word salvation in the scriptures is much broader than just our eternal salvation. Yes, that's at its core. Typically, when we talk about salvation in the church, it's, hey, confess your sins so that you can go to heaven, so you can have eternal life with God, so that you can have your soul saved. But encompassed with that is also our physical body. Salvation in the scriptures is also our physical body. God didn't make us only soul. He made us body and soul. The two make us human. And so God wants to save both and plans and intends to save both. 
There's a lot that I could say. There's all the qualifications, but what if, Nick, what if? What if he doesn't heal? But James doesn't give us what if because he wants us to look at the God who can and desires to. And he calls us like children to be children of God and to look at him. Here's what Andrew Murray says. Andrew Murray says, God wants to tell us that we are not to rest without an answer because it is the will of God and the rule of the Father's family that every childlike believing petition is granted. It is far easier for the flesh to submit without the answer than to yield itself to being searched and purified. Yes, the existential is being searched and purified by the Spirit of God until it has learned to pray the prayer of faith. And let's be honest, some of us just don't want that. We don't want to be searched. We don't want to be known. We don't want to be purified. And yet, prayer invites us into healing. Prayer for healing is wading into the depths of dependency, trusting that God can and desires and is able, and it's breathing in the air of trust that he's got our best interests in mind. The human response, the human response to physical illness is one of two things. It's either pride and the self-delusional sort of thought that we have some ability to heal our own selves. I remember reading the Lance Armstrong autobiography. Lance Armstrong is an atheistic egomaniac is what he is. Just read his autobiography. But when he had cancer, you know, he would share about his own thought process of going through chemo. And it wasn't just the chemo. Lance had this thought in his mind that if he spits up or vomits up or did things physically with his own body that he would be contributing to his own healing. He is that prideful. Man, I'm just going to bear down and I'm going to get through it on my own. That, that is not what God asks us to do. And the other way that we can tip as human beings is to kind of go fatalism. Well, it's not in the cards. It's not what God intended for me. You know, God has a good plan out there. I think it's for my best. When God actually really wants us to bear down in and with him and walk with him. So what does James say? The application is, is simple and yet it's hard. We're to pray. We're to ask the church to pray. If you, in this moment, are struggling with an illness or in your near future you're struggling with an illness and you want healing, God says, come to the church Come to the elders and ask them to come and pray for you. Ask them to lay their hands on you and pray and ask. And that ask isn't just a one-time, 20-minute prayer session. It is asking and asking and asking together until you have an answer. So if you are scared to ask, then ask the church to pray for you. If you have asked and you've grown weary because the illness has, has prolonged itself, ask the church to pray for you. If you doubt God, ask the church to pray for you. If you have become numb to the goodness of God, ask the church to pray for you. That is what we're called to do. And to those of us who have the opportunity and the privilege to pray for someone who needs physical healing, would we be agents of the mercy and grace of God? Would we, would we be quick to listen to our brother and sister in pain? We be quick to listen to God. We search the scriptures for true wisdom and understanding and where our prayers be directed so. Would we not move towards a fatalistic or prideful way of, of, of leading our brother and sister, but we move 
to uh, bolstering them and encouraging them to put their faith in a God who can, will, and does want to heal them. Well, James doesn't stop just there with physical healing. There's still yet another place of healing where prayer is to be sought. James then moves into kind of verse 15, the latter part of 15, into 16, where James brings up that prayer is uh, to be sought when we need forgiveness, that prayer dispenses the forgiveness of God our justifier to restore us who are falling. Prayer dispenses the forgiveness of God that he would restore us. James ties confession and sin to receiving forgiveness and spiritual healing at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that we are saved because we have confessed as if the confession is a work in itself. James just correlates it to when we confess our sin, then there is, there is forgiveness and healing. That's a moment-by-moment walk that the Christian walks. Now, when the Scriptures talk about sin, let's talk about what does the Scriptures mean by sin. Well, part of sin is human culpability, things that we've done, the moral law of God that we broke, the choices that we've made, willfully or negligently, things that we've done that are wrong that we know that are wrong. And yet, the Scriptures also speak of sin as a power that lords over us, that oppresses us. Some of us have felt this. We're like, man, something's not right. I don't think I've, I've broken a commandment of God, and yet I struggle with anxiety and depression or bitterness, and it's oppressive. We feel locked down. We feel trapped. Sin is also a power that reigns over our world, and sin wants to reign over us. I think of how God warned Cain right before he murdered his, uh, his brother Abel. God said to Cain, sin is at your doorstep, and it wants to devour you. Sin wants you. Sin wants all of us. And it's not just human culpability, human responsibility, human choices. It's more than that. There is something that wants to enslave us into this elemental world that we are living in right now. And yet we can be free when we come into the light, when we confess with what we're struggling with. What have you done that you don't want to admit to others? What have you done that you don't want to admit to yourself? What are you struggling with? Where do you feel oppressed or trapped and you don't feel the permission to ask or share this with others? I find it interesting that those who suffer the most in our church, those who struggle in their marriages, those who struggle with their own mental health, they often speak of being isolated from community. I need community. I need people in my life. And yet, they are, are unable, unable to move towards community. Because why? Sin wants to entrap them. Sin wants to keep them alone. Sin wants to be unknown. Sin wants to be in the secret. And so sin lies and lies and lies. Don't share that with anybody. Don't tell anybody about that. Don't confess that. Don't come to the church. You are condemned. You are weak. You are unable. You will be ashamed. You will feel guilty. It'll make it worse. And the lies continue to isolate us. In fact, we're so good at lying, we have this delusion that we are wrestling with God to gain freedom from sin. Well, this struggle is just between me and God. 
Well, no, that's sin lying to you, saying that you were actually struggling with God to gain victory over your sin. Because you are to come to your brothers and sisters and say, I am messed up. You see, the very, very good news is, is that every single one of us is jacked up in here. Every single one. I don't know where we got the term, put on your Sunday's best, because we ought to be able to walk in here and be at our Sunday's worst, and our Monday's worst, and our Tuesday's worst, because this is where you are. You are to be received and called and have the ability to be received just as you are. We are all fallen. We are all fallen. Humanity, we are the pinnacle of creation. We are such marvelous creatures, and yet we do such backward, crazy things. You think of prisoners who become reformed, murderers who all of a sudden their whole life is changed by the grace of God, and pastors and preachers who have forever lived by the grace of God in a moment can give themselves away to fleeting sin. Humans are an enigma, and yet we are loved, and we can come together, and we can be who we are. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in, in, in an almost anthem form in his book, Life Together, he says this, God has come to save the sinner. Be glad. God has come to save the sinner. Be glad. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men and women will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. Uh, gracious to you. You do not need to uh, go on lying to yourself lying to your brothers or sisters as if you were without sin, you can dare to be a sinner. And what if we lived like that here at Covenant? That we could dare to be sinners. You can dare to share the worst, the worst thing you've ever thought, done, or said, the worst struggle that you've dealt with, the chronic mental illness, that you can be this person in community together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, thank God for that. Because why? Because God loves a sinner, and yet, yes, he hates the sin. Going to your brothers and sisters in confession is going to God. That's what it is. You go to God when you go to your brothers and sisters and confess. They're linked. God knows that our secret prayers over our secret sins is still living in secret. But we're invited into the light. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed and made new when we come and we confess. Therefore, the brother and sister who confesses their sin no longer swims alone. The brother and sister who confesses their sin no longer is alone. They're in community with God's people. So what does this mean for us? Again, quite simple and yet quite hard. We're to go to righteous people and we're to tell it as it is. We're to go to righteous people and say what it is. You don't need to butter it up. You don't need to make it sound better than it really is. You don't need to put a positive spin on it. You can be who you are. You can share with what you're struggling with. You're struggling with jealousy, greed, envy, bitterness, anxiety. You can confess that. Have you done something, thought something, said something? You could never imagine you would have done that thing. You can share that too. Because God wants to give you his grace through his brothers and sisters. And why do we go to a righteous person? Not because they're better. It's because those of us who are righteous, we understand our own sin. While we might not struggle in the exactly the same way you might, we understand our own weaknesses. We understand that we've gone to those bad places before. 
And therefore, those of us who are walking in the light, you can then come and walk in the light with us. Those of us who are privileged to have someone come and confess our sin to us, well, then let us be very careful how we walk with them. Would we be people who listen and not advise? Would we be people who weep and mourn with our brothers and sisters who are struggling in sin? Would we be slow to offer solutions, at least we somehow give a mere small band-aid over a gaping wound? What do we do? We come beside our siblings, we come into the presence of God, and as Job, we ask for wisdom. God, we fear you, show us your way, show us your grace. We understand there's no formula, there's no method, there's only becoming before the Savior who saves both our physical bodies and our spiritual souls. So what does James say here at the end? Well, he says, hey, let's take a look at Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Hey, he was a man just like us. He was human. And yet, at a simple request, incredible things happen. And what James is saying is, very straightforward, when we pray and we ask, God moves and responds. There's real power in prayer. Let me conclude by just sharing a really quick, I won't get into the details, but my own personal experience of the power of prayer. I have dealt with trauma in my life at a young age, being abused over and over again for years in my life. I sought counseling, and counseling did its thing. It was helpful in some ways. I sought behavior changes. Those were helpful in some ways, and yet all I can say to you is that I felt trapped because of the trauma that I experienced. And yet, and yet, it was at the laying on of hands of brothers and sisters who prayed fervently for me that in a moment, I, all I can say is that I experienced a freedom and a grace of God I never could imagine. I never could have imagined what I experienced. I didn't know what it was like to be free of this thing that I carried around for almost two decades of my life. And yet it was on the laying on of hands and the prayer of brothers and sisters that set me free. All I can say is that that's my experience. And all I can say is that while we don't know what the waters look like, God calls us to go there. That is what prayer is. So now- Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.